Let's pray. Dear Lord, thank you so much um, for that worship, Lord. What a what just a foretaste of, of glory divine when we when we stand before you, Lord, and our faith is sight and we hear the multitudes singing. Bless the Lord, oh my soul, Lord. That, what, what is that going to be like? Uh, Lord, thank you for, for salvation. Thank you for the cross. Thank you for your Holy Spirit, Lord, that you send to, to rest upon men who, who truly give their hearts and their lives to you, Lord. I just ask that you bless the words of this sermon, Lord. I, uh, I ask that your, your Holy Spirit... Just be all over it, Lord. I'm painfully aware that I alone as a man will fail, Lord, at, at, at even communicating to just a fraction of how awesome you are, Lord. But with the help of your Holy Spirit and with you opening our eyes so we can see, Lord, and opening our ears so we can hear and opening up our minds so we can understand, Lord, we can begin to, to work in that direction, Lord, and just and just grow in holiness and grow in faithfulness and righteousness and and the more that happens within us lord it's the more you can fill us with your spirit and we'll just know we will just know rest knowing lord that you are king you are lord of all uh, there is no one like you in jesus name we pray amen so um last week i started a, a sermon called the least of these and i uh i had there's like two parts uh, that I got to go over, and then the uh, the third part. Now, is this light normally on? Because it's kind of driving me crazy. I don't. I'm not used to like just being right here. But so I don't know if you can kind of turn that off or dim it or something. Um, my poor preacher complaining. You know, like all right. Um, anyway, so may is it is it always on? Wow. Like, I've done this for three years now, and, like, that's just now bothering me. Well, you know what? In a month, it ain't going to matter, right? We'll have our own lives. <laughs> okay, I will start this sermon. All right, so let's start in uh, Matthew chapter 25. When the Son of Man comes in his glory. So he's talking about the judgment, man, when, the, when, the, when he comes. When the Son of Man shall come in his glory on that day when he shall return. That is going to happen. And all the holy angels with him. Then he shall sit upon the throne of glory here on earth. You know, thy kingdom come. Thy will be done here on earth as it is in heaven. And before him shall be gathered all nations. And he shall separate them one from another. So he's going to bring these nations one by one. They all have different cultures. That's what I'm talking about. Thank you. We got to give it up from a man here. There you go. <laughs> um, and before him, all nations. So you know, all the nations have different cultures. We all deal with different, different stuff you know, on our lives and different temptations and all that. So one by one, he separates them one from another. As a shepherd divides his sheep. From the goats, and he shall set the sheep on his right hand, but the goats on the left. And you know, last week we talked a little bit about these um, sheep and these goats. Okay, you know, sheep, uh, you know, have that instinct to stay together in a herd, but goats, uh, they're impulsive and unpredictable and want to kind of go their own way. So, you know, you, don't, you want to be a sheep, not a goat. You know, you want to be in with Christ and be as close to the shepherd 
as you possibly can. Then shall the king say unto them on his right hand, Come, you blessed of my father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. Now you want to be a sheep on his right hand, divided, for he gets, you know, you go, you go into heaven. For I was hungered, you gave me meat. I was thirsty, you gave me drink. I was a stranger, you took me in. Naked, you clothed me. Was sick, and you visited me. I was in prison, and you came unto me. And even his believers, even the believers shall say, the righteous will answer, Lord, when did we see you hungry? When did we feed you? When were you thirsty? When did we give you drink? When did we see you a stranger and took you in? Or naked and clothed you? When did we see these things? Or when did we see you sick and are in prison and came to you? And the king shall answer and say, Verily I say unto you, inasmuch as you have done it to one of the least of these my brethren, you have done it unto me. And so most scholars believe that the least of these, and that's who we really need to focus on, who are the least of these? Who are they? And the first one that some scholars mention, because he says the least of these my brethren, a lot of the Jewish people may, uh, especially Messianic Jews who do believe in Jesus uh, as the Messiah, but still keep a lot of the Jewish um, Ritual, since he says the least of these my brethren, then he's physically talking about the Jewish people, more of a very literal translation, the nation of Israel. And so without going through all those verses, the one more that that goes with this, um, and I will bless them that bless you. He's talking to Abraham. And curse him that curses thee. And I didn't notice it till I was reading it earlier this week. I will bless them that bless thee and curse thee. Him that cursed thee. Because as of right now, as of right now, we still have a fairly good relationship with Israel. Fairly good. Okay, It's kind of diminishing, but we still are kind of on their side and they're, they're on ours. So as a nation, you know, we bless Israel, or we at least halfway attempt to. And curse him, but there are those who say we should not. We should get out of all that kind of stuff altogether. So there's a blessing for those who bless that nation as a people. And then a curse for him that curseth thee. And in thee shall all families of the earth be blessed. We're all blessed because of, uh, of, of Abraham and his family and Israel. So bless those who bless them. You know, if you don't bless them, you know, you're, you're cursed. So the nation of Israel is one of, of who could be the least of these. But the problem with that is, you know, we're, we're kind of on this, the context of salvation. I mean, you got sheeps going to heaven and you got goats going to hell. So surely our salvation is not kind of dependent on our foreign policy. Okay, and then the next group is the poor, the sick, and the needy. Okay, and last week we went through, I'll kind of go through this pretty quick, Matthew chapter 20. And I just want you to look at the the poor, sick, and needy to us should be those outside of Christ, outside of salvation. Behold, two men sitting by the wayside. The wayside is off the path, okay? Wide is the gate that leads to destruction, and many there be going thereat. But narrow is the way and straight is the way that leads to life and few there be that find it. So you've got blind people who can't see, 
You know, why do we say all the time, open up our eyes so we can see? Because the glory of God is revealed. You know, there's more and more revelation, and I believe this will go on for eternity. A trillion years from now, God will be revealing something about himself, and we will be amazed. Our eyes will continually, forever, infinitely be more and more open to the glory of God. But these two blind men can't see at all, and they're off the path. When they heard Jesus passing by, they cried out saying, have mercy on us, O Lord, thou son of David. Okay. And how did the crowd treat them? The multitude rebuked them because they should hold their peace. You know, here's some blind people. And you know, and we, and, and last week we went into a little bit of detail about this. When you see people behaving negatively or in a certain way, you know, they don't, and you, and you kind of want to, to say something to them or to talk about them or even to go make a post about them on Facebook, you got to think about that. They don't need rebuking. They need their eyes open. They need to be able to see as you see, hopefully, because your eyes have been open to the glory of God, to, to salvation. The multitude rebuked this guy. They should have said, yes, come on. This is what Jesus does. We've seen him open other blind eyes. We've seen him put other people on the path. Come on, come to him. But they're like, no, you need to be quiet. He's got somewhere better to go. He's hanging out with us now, you know, just this weird thing. But they cried the more. These blind guys saying, have mercy on us, O Lord, thou son of David. Jesus stood still. This stopped him in his track. When somebody cries out for mercy, which is what we want to do here at Lifeline, hopefully, create an environment where the lost want to cry out for mercy because this stops Jesus in his tracks. Called to them and said, What will you that I should do to you? They said unto him, Lord, that our eyes may be open, which sounded crazy. Why is he asking him? Doesn't he know what they want? But he's asking him because salvation is a game changer. When you truly give your life to him, it's no more about what you want. It is what he wants. And they may be fairly close, and they may be way, way different. This is a lot different than being a rock star playing a loud guitar. That was my game plan. This is different. His plan for my life is different. His plan for Billy Graham's life was different. Billy Graham wanted to play baseball in stadiums in front of thousands. And guess what he ended up doing? Preaching in the stadiums in front of thousands and not hitting home runs over the fence, hitting home runs because the multitude came and gave their hearts and their lives to the Lord, the greatest evangelist of modern time anyway, their eyes received sight and they followed him. Okay, He asked them because, man, he knew their life was going to change. They could no longer be dependent on handouts anymore from people who felt sorry for them. Now their eyes were open. People weren't going to feel sorry for them. What are you going to do with your life now that your eyes are open? It is a game changer. But he kind of got a problem with this theory. Does salvation depend on how you treat these people? Is your whole eternal, like how many times have I gone by somebody maybe that really needed God and I didn't 
do the right things. There's enough time of those rack, rack up for me where I end up standing before God. And he says, I'm sorry, you blew all your chances to do all that stuff for me. Depart from me. I never knew you. This is kind of at odds with Paul's teaching after Jesus resurrects from the dead with salvation is by faith alone, not by works. Works must be done because of our faith. It must be a result of our faith. We do works because God first loved us and we love him. We do not do works to try to get him to love us or somebody far away from God could read this and say, well, just in case he's up there, I'm going to help as many people as I can. Well, maybe they do, but that's, it's got to be done out of their love for him. So with these first two possibilities... Is it really salvation dependent on foreign policy? Probably not. Is salvation dependent on our works? No, it's, it's not. Our salvation is, is dependent on one thing and one thing only, your faith and your trust in the Lord Jesus Christ, whosoever believeth in him. And that word believes is not just some sort of head knowledge where, yeah, I do think Santa exists or I don't think he's. Yeah, I do believe in the Easter Bunny. Yeah, I don't. Jesus, oh, yeah, I definitely believe in it. It's not that. It is I believe in him so much and I trust. I believe he rose from the dead and I believe that I can put my trust in him. Everything he said, he predicted his own death, burial, and resurrection. People saw him. Hundreds of people saw him. After he came back from the dead, they wrote about it. It's right here. Since that part is true, I believe the rest of it is true. So anything he asks me to do in my spirit or anything through what I read, he can be trusted and I'm going to do it even though I may not want want to, he can be trusted. So, not dependent on foreign policy, not dependent on works. Hopefully we can agree on that. So, who is this next group that he probably is talking about? Okay, go to the next slide. Brothers and sisters in Christ that we may or may not agree with. Okay, our own brothers and sisters in Christ who are trying to be disciples. You know, I read the other day that if a person, when a person gets saved and joins a church, within two years, their circle is completely changed and they pretty much only hang out with other Christians. You know, pretty much only. So their old way of life, old friends, you know, kind of fall by the wayside and they just kind of get into this inner circle, which I believe can be good for a while, but I think it'd be bad in the long run. Eventually, you got to get back out there and you've got to, to reach the lost. But for this group right here, brothers and sisters who are in Christ that we may not agree with. Now, when, when you look in the Bible and you're studying and you don't see an immediate text, like for the least of these, okay? You need to look in the broader chapter. You may even look in the broader book. And interestingly enough, I didn't take the time to do verse by verse all this, but if you go back and you read Matthew chapter 10, Jesus asked his disciples to go out to his own people. I want you to go out to the Jews, 
Don't take, a, don't take two coats with you. So basically, don't pack a suitcase. Don't take any money with you. Don't take any food with you. You're going to go out here, and you're going to present the gospel to people, and the way they treat you with you carrying nothing, you are, bringing, you are, making, you are humbling yourself. You're going to be completely dependent on God, and you're going to go out there and tell my people about me and it's going to be how how are they going to respond to you are they going to be giving to you are they going to slam the door in your face so in the broader context this is a this is more of an idea about how you respond to the gospel look how Jesus came to the earth he came to this earth and he made himself Nothing. When he was a baby, people were coming from far off to bring him gold. He obviously could have made himself rich, but he chose to make himself poor. And how did people treat him? His own people crucified him on a cross. How did they treat him? So how do we treat our brothers and sisters in Christ that we may not agree with? Okay, in the context of the story, I wanted to show you. Go to the next verse. When Jesus was in Bethany at the house of Simon the leper. Okay, now he wasn't still a leper. If people were in his house, I can guarantee you he wasn't still a leper. So this probably should have said when Jesus was in Bethany at the house of Simon the former leper, okay, because Jesus healed him. A woman came to him having an alabaster flask of very costly fragrant oil. Okay, so some of the commentaries that I read said this stuff probably cost a year's worth of wages. You know, so a teacher that's been in it as long as me makes about $50,000. Like, wow, could you imagine this box of stuff costing about fifty? thousand dollars and she poured it out on his head as he sat at the table here is a woman giving Jesus the absolute best she's got and she gets it because she you know there's only like 28 chapters in Matthew and this is like 26 somewhere around in there so he's about to be crucified he's about to be dead and do the whole death burial resurrection thing this woman gets it okay how does the church or Jesus' disciples treat this woman but when his disciples saw it they were indignant. It's kind of like disgusted them a little bit. What? I mean, here's a girl. She's just trying to honor Jesus. Isn't that what we're supposed to do in church? Isn't that what we're supposed to do when he's around? Saying, why this waste? They looked at that stuff and said, oh man, what a wasteful thing to do to give that to our Lord who we're following. Why this waste for this fragrant oil? Might have been sold for $50,000 and given to the poor. Now, don't go to the next slide. Given to the poor. Now, if our story that we've been reading is the least of these, Jesus would probably say, now you guys get it. 
You don't want to waste this kind of stuff on me. You want to give, you want to give it to the poor. Is that going to be Jesus' response? Look at what Jesus says in the next verse. But when Jesus was aware of it, okay? So obviously they were either thinking it in their hearts. I mean, like you should have learned by then to like, I would have just been like in my head just going, no, 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 no. Because like if, if I think it, like this dude's going to know it. Like, you know, and then Jesus will be like, why are you no, 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 you know. I'm like, because I don't want to think anything bad because you'll know, Lord. But anyway, when Jesus was aware of it, so either they were whispering or they were thinking of it in his heart, he said to them, why do you trouble the woman? He did not congratulate them on, finally, you're going to give to the poor and do something about this poor thing. Why do you trouble this woman? She's done a good work for me. Why you always gonna have the poor? You for you will you have the poor with you always, but you do not have me always. Okay, next next verse. For in pouring this fragrant oil on my body, she did it for my burial. And I mean, you think about if if this stuff really was worth its money, and it really did smell just just wonderful. And maybe if if it was all that, then you imagine as he hung on the cross and the blood was running out, if he could just turn his head just a little bit and smell that oil on his on his hair. And what if it brought him just a little bit of peace? What if it just reminded him, yes, this is why I'm giving my life for people like her. Her life will smell like this to my Father in heaven. Everything I'm doing is worth it. And pouring this fragrant oil on my body, she did it for my burial. Assuredly, I say to you, wherever this gospel is preached in the whole world, what this woman has done will also be told as a memorial to her. And here we are, probably 1,970-something years later, and we're still talking about what this woman did. And we wouldn't be talking about it if all that stuff was done and given to the poor. They would have done something about the poor very temporarily, But the poor, he's already said, you're always going to have them. But you're not always going to have me. Okay, so think about the way we treat our own. They treated this woman horribly and she was doing a beautiful thing. And guys, listen, I I just want you to know, like what what I've kind of heard in church, I'm going to try to be really, really general about this. I'm not saying I believe all of it or whatever. I'm just, I'm just going just to say some things, okay? What I've heard people say about our church leadership, okay? Some go into that building and they say that we've kind of lost our, you know, we, we've kind of lost our humility. That, that something, just getting over there is not good enough for us anymore. We're, we're getting too fancy with our stuff, you know, I've kind of, you know, I've, I've heard that. I've also heard that we're not being fancy enough. We need, to, we need to get more money and we need to do more. So which side of that am I supposed to fall on or us as leaders, which side are we supposed to fall? All I can tell you 
is that we get together and we pray around everybody before every single meeting. We pray for his will to be done and we are doing the absolute best we can with what we have. And barring people's opinions aside, here is all I know. We have had the money and just kind of almost just barely enough to do everything we've needed to do so far. And even after the dust settles in all of this, I think we're going to be around $10,000 in the surplus when we're done. We got like 75000 or something, and the last bill that's going to come in is like 65000 somewhere around in there. That's what we've done. We're just trying to honor the Lord, have we made mistakes in it? Absolutely. Do we acknowledge them? Absolutely. But we're trying, and I hope that you'd never doubt our hearts in what we're trying to do and to get our own place over there. Because the bottom line is we have to get out of here. We're, we're in overtime as far as our stay in our school, in this school. And so, you know, what I've heard people say about volunteering and about doing things. And listen, this is not an indictment on anybody. This is just what I've heard. You know that you know that people say that they've brought stuff to, to do some of the things that we want to do. And that, that when they said, you know, when they put something down, they'll be like, well, that don't go there. You got to put that over there. And it's like this, the, the people that are saying this are like, well, you just kind of, you know, made me feel like I did something wrong. And here all I am is trying to bring something to, to, to help and to do it. And so we just got to be mindful as people how we treat people who are just trying to serve the Lord. I mean, so, so somebody's trying to cook a meal and bring it over there. Let's help them. Let's say thank you. Because Jesus says, whatever you do, you've done unto me. And he goes as low as just a cup of water. If you just give, give me a cup of water to the least of these, you've done it unto me. We don't need to make it hard for our own people to serve the Lord. Look at their hearts. Are they trying to serve? This woman was just trying. She took it literal. She heard him say, give your best to the Lord. And she said, this is the best I got. And everybody else looked at her like, what a waste and it was not a way. She was doing the best she could with what she had to give to the King of Kings and Lord of Lords. The problem with most churches, most, and I hope as soon as we get over here and we get hit, hit the ground running, this does not happen to us. Most churches worry about getting stuff done. What kind of programs can we implement? What can we do? What can we do? What can we do? And it's not about hosting his presence. If we get that part right, the rest will be fine. Whatever it is, if we get the hosting his presence part right, if as a band we'll get in here and we will pray before we play and we get his presence part right it don't even really matter how we play it we'll have the main thing down wouldn't you rather us miss 30 notes and feel him than to play it perfectly and not feel him that's that's me we got to get this host in this presence and then whatever we do will prosper whatever we do 
will prosper. Programs and churches focus on reaching the lost, which sounds so good. I mean, isn't that what we want to do? Reach the lost. But people have taken it to this level where we set up our music. Some people even play worldly songs, secular songs in order. So if that band's really good, maybe the outside world will kind of come in and listen, okay? That some people preach and just give self-help sermons instead. So hoping that maybe, maybe the lost will kind of come in here and listen. And we set up the building. I even read a book that said you should take all the, the crosses and any kind of symbolism like that and just make it look more like a regular, you know, like a stage you'd go to at a bar because it's more inviting for the lost, Now, here's the deal. I don't want to make the church itself irresistible. I want the members of the church to have an attitude and a demeanor and the presence of the Holy Spirit in their life that they're irresistible. When you live your life in college or at work or at home, I want people to see you and say, What you have is what I want. Where do you go to church? That's what you want. You want the Holy Spirit living in each of us so that we're the attraction. Not the way we set up the building, not the way we put lights up here, not the music we play, not the sermons that I preach because hopefully I'll just preach like this. I will read and talk about the Word of God because it's the main Thing We're here to honor him. We were never supposed to make it about just reaching the lost. We're supposed to have his spirit in us that when people see us, we're irresistible. People want what we have. They'll go where we are so they can receive what we have. We do not want to be like The goats who just do our own thing. We want to be like the sheep who together we have the same spirit and the same mind. And we work together to be the light for the lost. And they will be attracted to it. Okay, I got one more thought here. Go to the uh, the next verse in Matthew chapter 26. Right after this woman busted that box poured it out on Jesus, and they gave her a hard time. Judas was obviously the ringleader on this. Okay, I've heard that he's like the treasurer, kind of the money keeper. So he was probably the ringleader in all this. Like, man, that would have been, you know, 50 grand right there that we could have really done something to our building fund when we start the mega church for Jesus, you know? Like he really was probably offended at this. So then one of the 12 called Judas Iscariot, went to the chief priests and said, what you willing to give me if I deliver him up to you? So for when he saw that he wasn't going to be able to get any money out of this woman, he said, well, I'll get me some money some other how. He was, he was only in this whole following Jesus thing for himself. 
And it's not like we don't have a multitude of Americans who are doing the same thing. Supposedly three out of every four Americans are Christians. Is there any way in Hades that you believe that? Three out of every four. If we had three out of every four with the spirit of the living God living in them and transforming them, our whole world would be heaven on earth. But as it is, we go to church because maybe God's got some sort of roll sheet and if I, maybe my good's outweighing my bad and I won't have to go to hell when I die. Or... You know, I, I need my boss to see me in church. So I'm going to go to that church so he'll think that I'm good and maybe he'll give me a promotion. Selling them out for money. Why do you come? We want to create an environment here so that you come to experience the presence of the living God. All I know is when I walk in there, I feel God and I love it and I want some more of it. Not to go all Tim McGraw on y'all. But anyway... Two people kissed him in the Bible, okay? Two people. Judas kissed him in the face to betray him, to turn him over. He couldn't take it. He could not take what he did. The guilt killed him at the end of all this. Because truth be known, he'd watched Jesus probably flat out disappear in the middle of crowds who wanted to kill him. He didn't think he could really be taken. But Jesus allowed himself to be taken and Judas knew what I did cost this man his life it was more than he could bear so he took his own life but you know in Luke chapter 7 and I didn't put it up here there's another woman you'll find that kissed his feet she came in and she was a prostitute and she knew that Jesus was in this house of this Pharisee and guys it's crazy that even though most churches are houses of Pharisees who look down on everybody else, who think they're better than everybody else, Jesus still chooses his church, even though it's loaded with Pharisees, still chooses his church as one of the main tools for salvation. And this woman said, you know what? I don't know who them Pharisees are that are going to look down on me and call me a whore and call me all these names and tell me I'm a sinner. But here's what I know. That's where Jesus is. And he's the one that can cleanse me of my sin. So she goes in there into this house of this Pharisee and she finds him and she kneels down and her tears start pouring out and she cleans his feet with her tears and her hair. And everybody Everybody says, I can't believe that he's letting her touch him. And that's, that's all he's ever wanted to do. Two people you'll find kiss Jesus. One in the face for money. One on the feet for salvation. Which one are you most likely to do? Are you in this for presence, P-R-E-S-E-N-T-S, what he can give me, what he can do, what he can protect me from, you know, how he can bless me? Or are you in it for presence, P-R-E-S-E-N-C-E, that no matter what my situation in life, I'm content because I have him and there is no one like him. And how do we treat people who that's all they want they just want him no you got to get out of that you got to work you got to do something for him you got to get up and you got to you got to help us 
Guys, I get so convicted even on our work days because Saturday is my day of preparation. I've tried to do it on Monday and Tuesday and found that by the time Sunday gets here, I forget most of that stuff that I thought about on Monday and Tuesday. So the best way for me to prepare is to get up on Saturday and pray and get on my face before God and put all this stuff together. It's fresh on my mind. I can come in here and I can preach it. But some sort of religious spirit Every time we have a work day, it's like, I got to get out there and help. What are they going to think? How come the preacher ain't here helping and all that stuff? And God says, you are doing this for me. Who cares what they're thinking? Who cares? You're doing this for me. May we have that attitude that whatever it is we do, we get to go over there and do it for him. You know, I almost don't want to tell you this because I feel like I kind of bragging before men, but me and my dad went over there Friday night and laid the floor to just one of those rooms. And it was so enjoyable putting one board at a time and just saying, doing this for him. Who may learn something about him in this room and it be part of their journey. It was a beautiful thing. I never thought to say, well, some other people should be here helping us work. It was just a joy to be able to do that myself because I can't do a whole lot of stuff. But I can snap those little boards in place. It's just not that bad. How do we treat people who are just trying to give their best For him, that teaches us two things. For one, let's humble ourselves and not think of ourselves more highly than we really are. We were lost sinners and we were saved by the blood of Jesus Christ, period. We are nothing without him. So let's humble ourselves and not think of us any better than anybody else. But for the grace of God, Go I, and let's never look down on anybody just trying. I don't care if it's the worst sinner out there in the world and you see them at the Oktoberfest next weekend doing all kinds of just just sinful things and they walk in here. What are we going to do? We're going to talk bad so you don't belong in here? No, we're going to thank God that they came into this house because he's the great physician. He can heal them. He can open their eyes and we're going to pray for them and we're going to invite them to come back next week. That's our attitude. That's the way we have to be. Okay? I'm going to end with this. I want you to look about the story of Zacchaeus right here. I just saw this this morning and I had to, uh, I just had to end with this because it's beautiful. Zacchaeus, make haste and come down for today. I must stay at your house. Okay? We could do the wee little man song, but I voted against it, okay? So he made haste, you know? He made haste and came down and received him joyfully. Man, Jesus is here, receives him joyfully. What is the Christians going to do? Yes, this tax collector has received him. Let's praise God. When they saw it, they all complained. Here's a guy that on the very first step of serving God, and the first thing Christians do is discourage him. When they saw it, they all complained, saying, he's gone to be a guest with a man who's a sinner. What were you? 
I, you, I was born a saint. You know, I was born just like Jesus, virgin birth and everything. I mean, it's crazy. Then Zacchaeus stood. He did not defend himself to those people who were complaining about him. He said, Lord, Lord Jesus, please look. I'm not appealing to these people. I'm appealing to you, Lord. I give half my goods to the poor. And I have, if I've taken anything from anybody by false accusation, I'll give them four times as much. I restore fourfold. God, I will do whatever you ask me. I'll give half my stuff away. I'll pay anybody at four times anything that I've stole. Lord, please don't listen to them complain about me. I'll do anything to honor you and to serve you. Jesus said to him, today, today, I know your heart is right and salvation has come to this house. Guys, let's be very careful about getting any kind of high attitude where we're better than anybody else because we're not. And let's be merciful to anybody regardless of what they post on Facebook, regardless of their behavior. Anybody that comes in here, man, let's worship the king with all of our hearts and say, God, only your presence can change them. Not any program that we do, not anything. Only you can change them. And let's be merciful to the least of these. Let's pray. Father God, thank you so much for this message, Lord. It's, it's for me. It's for me, Lord. I can start thinking I'm better than other people. And I start thinking I have something that they don't. Lord, what an awful attitude. I can only imagine how bad I stink sometimes in your nostrils. Well, but I ask for forgiveness one more time. I ask for mercy and grace, Lord, and ask you to clean me up. Give me your righteousness, Lord. My righteousness is just as filthy rags. Wrap me in your righteousness. Wrap us one more time as hearts all over this room. Ask for forgiveness for any kind of pride creeping up in our hearts that could be revealed to other people and just be a stench, Lord, where they say, of course I don't want what they have. Look how arrogant they are. Look how high and mighty they think they are. Lord, may we be humbled and just realize that we're only saved by you and the cross. We're only saved by your blood. We're only saved because you sent your best and you humbled yourself. Help us to do the same thing to humble ourselves and to show the world a light like they've never seen that they're so attracted to that they have to come and receive the same gift that we received from you. There is absolutely no one like you, our holy God. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.